Chapter 7, Part 1 of The Greater Life and Work of Christ. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Greater Life and Work of Christ by Alexander Patterson. Christ in the Eternal Future, Part 1. The eternal future begins where time ends. From the great white throne issue the ages of eternity. These are often spoken of in Scripture. Paul writes of them and gives the grand outline in these words. Unto him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, unto all generations forever and ever. Margin, unto all the generations of the age of the ages. End of margin. The word rendered worlds is often more properly ages. Through whom also he made the worlds may be rendered through whom also he framed the ages. These ages were framed by Christ. In the eternal past he arranged the whole eternal future. Christ was the great architect of the ages as well as the manifestation of the person and nature of God and his great executive. It is difficult to separate the prophecies which apply to the eternal state from those which refer to the millennium only. The two form one picture in the minds of the prophets looking down the long perspective of the distance. The prophecies of the millennium may be taken as were those referring to historical events as having a typical meaning or a second fulfillment in the greater age. Dr. Craven writes on this subject, Although the New Jerusalem state is not to be confounded with the millennial kingdom, nor is to be regarded as a simple continuance thereof, it is to be looked upon as the antitype of that kingdom. In a sense, it is the kingdom raised to a higher plane, completely freed in its territory and its subjects from all remains of the curse. The millennial kingdom is the reign of the saints over a race and earth freed indeed from the assaults of Satan, but still in measure in sin and under the curse. The New Jerusalem period is that of the reign of the saints over a race and earth perfectly purified. As another writer observes, in the millennium righteousness reigns, and in the eternal state it dwells with man. Some general principles may be considered by which the special application of scriptures to the two states may be discerned. The predictions which speak of the presence of sin or death refer to the millennium only, for these are absent from the eternal state. So also all which intimate the existence of the sea, for this too is absent. Also all which speak of any termination are to be applied to the short time of the millennium. It is probable also that all predictions which here present geographical or ethnographical names or boundaries refer to the millennium only. The last two chapters of the apocalypse apply to the eternal state. Following as they do without intimation of chronological break, the accounts of the general judgment and the destruction of the world, and leading up to the perfect state as far as revealed to man. So therefore all other predictions must be judged as to their place by this great outline. The presence of the heavenly city and the visible presence of God the Father are the great marks of the eternal state. The central point in the eternal future is the throne of God and the Lamb. Around this appears the new Jerusalem, and in a wider circle the new earth. This in turn is encircled by the new heavens. This then will be our course of study, beginning at the center with Christ, with whom all previous study and acquaintance we are familiar, and considering the successive circles by which he is surrounded. We ask what Christ is or has in himself for all his work and suffering and accomplishment. That he did look forward to something for himself seems clear. Who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and hath sat down on the right hand of the throne of God? What was the joy set before him? We can see that there was, as at the ascension, the joy of accomplished endeavor. Redemption is fully accomplished. He has brought about a state of existence which can continue as long as eternity, without failing in any point by reason of weakness and sin. He has made possible the extension of the holy, happy state universally. 
but for himself christ has gains also he has a threefold human nature body soul and spirit this human nature has been trained and schooled in the vicissitudes and sufferings of human life he in it learned obedience by the things which he suffered he was made perfect through suffering he has all that a thoroughly schooled human being could have all that experience is to us it is to christ all that character is to us it is to him all this in his human nature which he has and will have forever christ has the possibility of a kind of fellowship with created beings especially the church with this human nature so schooled which he could not otherwise have it is the fellowship of equals of which he spake no longer do i call you servants for the servant knoweth not what his lord doeth but i have called you friends for all things that i have heard of my father i have made known unto you this indicates the kind of fellowship and the subjects of it it will be the intercourse of equals as to the great designs of the eternal ages to come all this christ did not have before the world was there is in the conferring of a name upon christ often and mysteriously spoken of it was conferred upon him at his ascension wherefore also god highly exalted him and gave unto him the name which is above every name that in the name of jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth this is not any of the names we now know for it is spoken of by himself as my new name and again he hath a name written that no man knoweth but he himself it is that name which he promises to write upon him that overcometh and no doubt which they bear who have the father's name written upon their foreheads this name will sum up in itself all we have known of christ and will declare to us in a word a revelation of christ now utterly beyond us the new name of christ will no doubt embody all the many titles and offices christ has worn it will have not only a public and general meaning but also a special significance to each one who knows it this is indicated by his promise to write it upon the one who overcomes it will probably express to each one his own special view of christ or the secret relationship which he holds individually to him it will like the many-faced jewel reflect christ's grace and glory in many forms and to each believer his own needed or prized view of christ it is the name by which he is now known in heaven and which exalts him above every creature and draws praise from every beholder next to seeing his face will be the joy of hearing for the first time the great name which is above every name by which he whom we have called christ will be known for ever there are frequent references to an orderly arrangement of the kingdom of god that order is heaven's first law needs no asserting it is true of nature and the church also so far as it has conformed to the divine commands it is probable the different figures for the church describe different parts of the great company some passages describe a complexity of organization as the following being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself being the chief cornerstone in whom each several building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the lord in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of god in the spirit in this scripture quoted there is presented a picture of many buildings each representing a separate company and also adjusted to each other and to the central place of the throne as to form one temple for the habitation of god the figure of the temple explains this orderly and yet varying arrangement of the city of god the temple had its enclosing wall its court its inner court its temple proper and inside the holy place and the inmost holiest of all we can discern some of these several buildings the great company of the antediluvians who were saved are not of the spiritual descendants of abraham the father of all them that believe to whom the gospel was first preached as paul tells us yet they have a place in the house of god so israel is not the christian church by whom indeed for a time they were supplanted 
but israel has a place and a special place too they are seen in their tribes and are recognized as such we have already considered the term and figure of the bride as applies to the people of god israel was so called and is in the eternal future united with the new testament church in this figure the names of the twelve tribes of israel are on the gates while the names of the twelve apostles are on the foundations of the walls the scripture in like manner says ye are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of god being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets jesus christ himself being the chief cornerstone there are also those of every land and family of men who in all the ages have known and obeyed the truth many of these are the results of the world-wide work of jehovah during the old testament age in many nations as we noted in the review of the work of christ then the thousands of nineveh who repented at the preaching of jonah and doubtless others from many cities and lands in like manner saved so also the queen of sheba and doubtless many of her subjects whom jesus said would stand up in the judgment having repented in life so also nebuchadnezzar who issued his royal proclamation confessing christ as he knew him after god's afflictive dealings and no doubt many of the subjects of this ruler over the whole earth the christian church of this age has undoubtedly a superiority over all who have gone before and all who will come after christ teaches a distinction between the believer of the old testament church and those of the new among them that are born of women there hath not risen a greater than john the baptist yet he that is but little in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he there is undoubtedly far more believing on christ now when we have no supernatural events or a visible saviour than in the coming day when the supernatural is everywhere present christ taught this principle in showing thomas's hands and his side he said because thou hast seen me thou hast believed blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed we know that many will be saved after the coming of the day of the lord as was noted they will lose something which others will gain this is indeed part of the reward and a great part for being ready for the coming of that day and it is so held out in scripture that some lose their part in it does not however show that they are lost so also a difference is intimated to exist among those being saved in the gospel age and commonly called the church there are special terms applied to some such as the bride the firstfruits the church of the firstborn we must not apply these indiscriminately to the saved scripture does not use terms in that loose manner every difference is significant of special meaning there is a vast difference between being saved as by fire and having richly supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our lord and saviour jesus christ coming into the number of the church of the firstborn is far more than escaping hell the bride of christ is far more than a servant or a subject there are undoubtedly difference in the constituency of these respective bodies there will also be some chosen companies one is thus described these are they which were not defiled with women for they are virgins these are they that which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth these were purchased from among men to be the firstfruits unto god and unto the lamb and in their mouth was found no lie they are without blemish the account tells us they act as a constant escort to the son of god we noticed in the life of jesus that some were constantly with him christ and his people enter the eternal future together a completed body the last sheaves were gathered before the last judgment and now not one is missing as is found by the opening of the book of life the act which will give christ as well as his people joy is described in these words that he might present the church to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish for christ himself this is the time of reward his prayer on earth was 
i will that where i am they also may be with me that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me but there is a higher pleasure for them and him it is written that no man hath seen god at any time human eye cannot gaze upon him but in the glorified state this is possible the pure in heart shall see god it is written they shall see his face the time for this is when all are gathered and sin is no more this is described as the definite act in time and experience the presentation of the completed church before the presence of god the father is thus described to present you holy and without blemish and unreprovable before him to set you before the presence of his glory without blemish and exceeding joy the object of the christian's contemplation during the present age is christ in the millennium christ will be visible to all but in the eternal ages the object of the christian's contemplation and vision will be god the father the eternal and infinite it is the summit of bliss for the people of god we will be as christ does not only to see but as we advance in the learning of that higher state of life to be able to enter into the thoughts of god and his purposes and enjoy the same kind of fellowship as with christ himself the mind of god will exist in all his people as it does in christ god will be in them as he is in christ for the church there will be growth and advance in all which makes glory and character the ideal of the christian is the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ it is further and perhaps more highly expressed in these words filled unto all the fullness of god we can scarcely say all this is attained by any in its greatest sense in this life but it will be by all in the life to come the believer is to become like christ he is said to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren this will be such an exaltation of the believer as will make him as like christ as the younger son is to the older we shall be like him for we shall see him even as he is the process begun upon earth will go on in increasing power we all with unveiled face reflecting as a mirror the glory of the lord are transformed into the same spirit from glory to glory even as from the lord the spirit all this the apostle has in mind when he prays that ye may know what is the hope of his calling what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what the exceeding greatness of his power to us ward who believe the promise as to these ages is that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in christ jesus the scriptural accounts of the future of god's people are all associated with material places and conditions there is no such idea in scripture as the ghostly condition and unsubstantial state now commonly held as to heaven and which contemplates a mere condition or state apart from place or locality or makes little of locality this comes as has been said from the leaven of doctrine absorbed from heathenism that evil exists in matter or that matter is an antagonism to spirituality and holiness and that the right idea of heaven demands pure etherealism it also comes partly from the effusions of poets not scripturally informed and partly from exaggerated importance being given to the middle state the great realities of the resurrection and the resurrection state being correspondingly neglected all this has filled the minds of people with views of heaven which are not only unscriptural but also damaging to the faith of believers a heaven is presented which few dare to conceive of or even to acknowledge a location for it is filled with ghostly beings whom we are assured we will become like and so in some more or less imaginary state live on and on without any definite place or purpose or outcome such a heaven has no attractive power it is not the heaven of the bible among the last promises of christ was this in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you for i go to prepare a place for you and if i go i will come again and receive you to myself that where i am there ye may be also here is as definite proof as could be given 
first the naming of a place and the assertion that it is where christ himself is dr craven writes upon this as follows a material dwelling-place is as necessary for resurrected saints as was edom for adam or canaan for israel it should occasion no surprise for the same loving care that will raise and glorify the body should prepare a fitting and glorious abode for it the place of the abode of god's people is called the new jerusalem we are taught that it is a definite place having locality name and description this is the place jesus went to prepare it forms the subject of the closing chapters of the apocalypse and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god having the glory of god her light was like unto a stone most precious as it were a jasper stone clear as crystal having a wall great and high having twelve gates and at the twelve gates twelve angels and twelve names written thereon which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of israel and on the east were three gates and on the north three gates and on the south three gates and on the west three gates and the wall of the city had twelve foundations and on them twelve names of the twelve apostles of the lamb and he that spake with me had for a measure a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof and the city lieth foursquare and the length thereof is as great as the breadth and he measured the city with the reed twelve thousand furlongs the length and the breadth and the height thereof are equal and he measured the wall thereof a hundred and forty and four cubits according to the measure of a man that is of an angel and the building of the wall thereof was jasper and the city was pure gold like unto pure glass the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all manner of precious stones the first foundation was jasper the second sapphire the third chalcedony the fourth emerald the fifth sardonyx the sixth sardius the seventh chrysolite the eighth beryl the ninth topaz the tenth chrysoprase the eleventh jacinth the twelfth amethyst and the twelve gates were twelve pearls each one of the several gates was of one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold as it were transparent glass and i saw no temple therein for the lord god the almighty and the lamb are the temple thereof and the city hath no need of the sun neither of the moon to shine upon it for the glory of god did lighten it and the lamp thereof is the lamb and the nations shall walk amidst the light thereof and the kings of the earth do bring their glory into it and the gates thereof shall in no wise be shut by day for there shall be no night there and they shall bring the glory and the honour of the nations into it and there shall in no wise enter into it anything unclean or he that maketh an abomination and a lie but only they which are written in the lamb's book of life and he showed me a river of water of life bright as crystal proceeding out of the throne of god and of the lamb in the midst of the street thereof and on this side of the river and on that was the tree of life bearing twelve manner of fruits yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no curse any more and the throne of god and of the lamb shall be therein and his servants shall do him service and they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads and there shall be night no more and they need no light of lamp neither light of sun for the lord god shall give them light and they shall reign for ever and ever the figure of the city is that of a square this corresponds to the scriptural figure for universality is applied to the earth and man the other dimension height suggests its heavenly aspect we must not suppose that it is a cube the three dimensions apply as well to the figure of the mountain or pyramid which is the perfected form of the mountain old jerusalem was called mount zion and was built upon a mountain the dimensions given are no doubt all surface measurements the height is probably not the vertical height but the slope of the mountain 
the area given is more than a million times that of ancient jerusalem and if populated as the least crowded residence parts of any modern city would give homes to a hundred times the present population of earth in this vision of the home of the church are gathered all the beauties of nature human life and heaven specimens of each are named from nature precious stones pearls gold rivers and trees from human life a single figure the bride from heaven angels and light but each of these are but specimens of the whole vast glorious aggregation of all that is beautiful in each of the spheres of nature man and heaven this then is the city john sees it is a shining mountain around the base a wall of diamond three portals opening on each side the gates of solid pearl from each gate an avenue of gold ascends to the summit down the sides of each street pours a stream of the river of life watering the trees which line each golden avenue the figure suggests the sides of the mountain terrace to the summit and upon these terraces the mansions of the saints the throne of god crowns the whole from the throne flows light eternal which radiates through every part of the transparent city the dimensions in the description suggest a city combined with all of rural beauty and enjoyments when john sees the vision of the new jerusalem the saints are in possession of their eternal home the whole is called the bride the lamb's wife it is the vision of the saints in this glorious city which fills the apostle with rapture he beholds the completed work of christ for his church we may be sure christ himself is with them indeed the record so says to bring his church to their eternal resting place was the work of christ in person even as the bridegroom brings the loved one to his home this probably takes place soon after the completion of the church the view which john saw of the new jerusalem presented it descending from god out of heaven the whole context indicates that it was descending to earth where the apostle was the mention of earth afterward with the city established shows this to be the right view of the location of this glorious city it is heaven coming to earth this we must bear in mind was the course of the preceding ages the scripture narrative shows first a rupture of the relationship between god and man then follows a long edge ending at the flood when there seems to have been little communication between heaven and earth in the age following god comes to many and all israel sees the glory of god angels come and go and are seen and heard in the gospel age god and his son appears and many more a worldwide body know personally of the reality of heaven in the millennium there is a greater disclosure still as we have seen the supernatural becomes well-known phenomena the angels and risen saints and the glorified christ himself appears but in the eternal state behold the tabernacle of god is with men and he shall dwell with them the peculiarity of the new jerusalem will be no temple therein for the lord god almighty and the lamb are the temple thereof dr craven writes upon this in the old jerusalem the temple was at once the dwelling-place and the concealer of jehovah though present he was not visibly present in presence he was sheltered by the temple the new jerusalem shall have no place for the sheltering of the lord for she shall be sheltered by him he shall tabernacle over her her inhabitants shall dwell under his manifest and sheltering light he shall be her temple the inspired account of the place of the new jerusalem is as follows i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth are passed away and the sea is no more this we believe refers to the present earth we have every reason to believe that this planet is meant and that the recreation of it is the work of christ we are led to this conclusion from considering the types of the great conflagration the flood was such the effect of this was the destruction not of the planet but only the human works and beings upon its surface 
so in the fiery flood of which the former was a type we need not see more than the destruction of the surface and the works of man upon it further the words the sea was no more imply the same earth where the sea was otherwise the statement would have no relevancy still further the statement the tabernacle of god is with men implies god coming to men rather than their removal to some other place the restoration or regeneration of the earth is in full accord with the analogy of all which has gone before in the creative spiritual and resurrective work of christ to merely abandon the earth as a fiery mass to burn itself out would scarcely be in line with the predictions of complete victory it leaves the battlefield in possession of the enemy as dr george junkins says whereas on the supposition of its purification and of redeemed men and his glorious redeemers returning and abiding upon it in a state of felicity superior to that which satan at first disturbed the triumph of god the saviour over the powers of hell has here an everlasting monument dr charles hodge writes thus the destruction here foretold is not annihilation the world is to be burnt up but combustion is not a destruction of substance it is merely a change of condition or state the earth according to the common opinion that is this renovated earth is to be the final seat of christ's kingdom there are many scriptures which teach this abraham is to have the land of promise for an everlasting possession zion is to be an eternal excellency the earth is to be inhabited for ever the work of christ in this preparation of the earth for its eternal use we call the new creation he himself speaks of it in these words behold i make all things new this is far more than the restoration of all things that means the return to the edenic condition which took place in the millennium but a repaired world is far from the idea of this greater state and work it is a regeneration being born again the earth must pass through the same process as ourselves and become a new creation the earth would be left by its fiery baptism very much in its original state indeed jeremiah in his view of the earth given him in this time describes it in the same language as that of genesis i beheld the earth and lo it was waste and void and the heavens and they gave no light the statement there was no more sea tells us of a very different state of earth is to exist not only on the surface of the earth but above it the fires of the last day will vaporize the waters of the oceans and unless removed elsewhere these vapors would be suspended as a canopy over the earth or in rings or circles as is the case with some of the stars saturn for example this will undoubtedly produce very different climatic conditions the result of the earth's fiery baptism will be the entire destruction of every form of evil physical as well as moral the countless forms of disease and the germs by which they are propagated will be completely destroyed it will be earth's purification its baptism of water will be followed by its baptism of fire through these the earth will come into fellowship with the great company of unfallen worlds in the new creation christ will simply follow the process begun in the old and manifested in every phase of cosmical and spiritual acting all along the ages christ leave thus states this principle of divine acting the spiritual life of christ breaks forth in a manifestation in the invisible world by revivifying the bodies of those that are sanctified in the first resurrection in the succeeding general resurrection an act of christ's power which extends to the whole of the corporeal world and introduces the great mundane catastrophe as well as in the formation of a new heaven and earth this grand and gradual process of the world's renewal has its fitting consummation we may expect to see a world filled with the products of creative work in the animal and plant spheres they were not out of place in eden nor will they be here there is no sin in organic things nor does it come from them all nature 
as in our first chapter has been seen is wholly to the lord the efforts of every spot left free to the operation of nature to become filled with life and verdure to obliterate the ravages of man and to restore all things tells us a little of what we may expect when god gives the word for a perfect work there will not be a barren spot nor a noxious weed or insect the descent of the new jerusalem from heaven to earth is accompanied by the words of a voice from the throne which is within the city saying behold the tabernacle of god is with men and he shall dwell within them and they shall be his peoples and god himself shall be with them and be their god and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more the first things are passed away and he that sitteth on the throne said behold i make all things new the first plain teaching of this divine message direct from the throne of god is that when the new jerusalem descends to the new earth it finds people already there it is an inhabited earth to which it comes it does not bring this population with it they are evidently not a part of the great body who are in the city indeed the fact that the city comes to them and that this coming of the city and god is to them the great event shows plainly that they are on earth it is stated that they are not to inhabit the city but to live in the light of it when we remember that the city comes from heaven while this company is of the earth there is in connection with all before said a plain inference that they are different in nature also this conclusion is more certain from the statements made concerning them the terms applied to these residents of the new earth are peculiar and very different from those applied to the residents in the city itself the inhabitants of the earth to whom the city comes and to whom god comes with it are spoken of as men and peoples and they are spoken of in connection with tears and death and mourning and crying and pain all of which it is said are now to cease the tears are to be wiped from their eyes if these are resurrected persons these allusions and declarations seem very strange wiping away all tears from the faces of risen saints is something wholly irreconcilable with their nature and state the promise of banishing death from those who have gotten the victory over death by resurrection is also incongruous and so is the promise of no mourning crying or pain the further state of these is indicated by the expression the kings of the earth the risen saints would scarcely be so spoken of by either this title or as bringing their glory into the city where they constantly abide it is further said they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it dr elijah r craven writes on this as follows we should distinguish between the citizens of the city and the nations the former are risen and glorified saints who constitute the bride the governors of the new creation the latter are probably men in the flesh who walk in the light of the city who bring their glory and honor into it and who are healed or kept in health by the leaves of the tree of life i e who are under its instruction the nations will consist of men in the flesh freed from sin and the curse begetting a holy seed and dwelling in blessedness under the government of the new jerusalem they will not be the offspring of the glorified saints who neither marry nor are given in marriage but the descendants of those whom live in the period of the millennial kingdom the same almighty power that conveyed noah and his family across the waters of the first deluge can bear other families across the fiery floods of the second it may be retorted that there is no promise of such a miracle that there is no express promise is admitted but the divine prediction of an event ever implies the promise of a sufficient cause part of the original curse on man was reversed after the flood as we noted in the covenant made with noah i will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake the curse upon creation is removed at the millennium as paul says 
the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the liberty of the glory of the children of god but the curse of a sinful nature remained upon man this is now removed in the beginning of the eternal ages by the edict from the throne behold the tabernacle of god is with men and he shall dwell with them and they shall be his peoples and god himself shall be with them and be their god and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more the first things are passed away and he that sitteth on the throne said behold i make all things new in this there is a complete reversal of the original curse in all its relations first the communion and presence of god is restored second sorrow and suffering are removed and death is banished the final sentence shows the completeness of the restoration the first things are passed away behold i make all things new the original curse is now completely abolished humanity is at last free from sorrow suffering and sin in each individual the spirit dominates soul and body and both are glorified thereby and brought by this control over the spiritual nature into unity with all other beings all of whom because of the spiritual nature and its supremacy and through it is the channel of communication in life are brought into immediate and full connection with god through the flow of the holy spirit in this state every physical act is faultless and every exercise of the mind is holy all are filled with the fullness of god these are then restored humanity entering the new earth they are what adam was before he fell and therefore are fit for the presence of god who can now resume the original fellowship of eden so long interrupted this will be the perfect restoration of humanity never before secured it will be a victory not to be secured otherwise the resurrection is victory over death but man must die in order to rise the translation of living believers saves man by lifting him above mortality into another sphere the great restoration of the race gives him spirituality and immortality in his own sphere it makes natural man superior to the power of death and sin there is bestowed upon the restored race more than adam enjoyed by the death of christ the spiritual power of sin was destroyed in the millennium the social dominion of sin is removed by the eternal edict from the throne that in man which responds to the attack of temptation is removed man will be physically psychically and spiritually perfect the first man was of the earth earthy but he is so no longer by the edict from the throne he is made new if god is to be glorified in the eternal state by material creatures and beauties in nature why not by the crowning work of creation perfected man to lay man aside in the hour of final victory would be to acknowledge a mistake in his creation or a defeat in his redemption the perfection of the new earth will require the perfection of man in all his relationships and faculties end of chapter seven part one